Welcome to Fusion Fantasy Football. Hello? Hello? Hey, is this thing on? Hey, this is a podcast. It's a podcast. I'm your host, Joshua, and this is a podcast. Not a live stream, not a YouTube video, just a good old-fashioned podcast. It's been a couple weeks. Welcome, welcome. Um, You know, I I probably should start actually doing some normal-ish content, but I don't do normal very well. And I also don't even follow my own notes very well because that's not at all how I intended to start the show. But welcome. Again, Fusion Fantasy Football, there may be some people listening to this. Uh, It's that time of year. Uh, Some new people start chiming in, you know, tuning in. And maybe they just listened once. They probably quit about five seconds ago when they were like, what is this clown doing? All right, I don't care. So welcome. Also got a lot of people, references. Had a lot of fun with those live drafts, um, those streams. The videos are up. It's obviously Scott Fishbowl related, which has already started. I'm into the 13th round, just made my 13th round pick. I, of course, am going to, in this episode, give a round-by-round, pick-by-pick analysis of my... No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Don't quit. Just kidding, guys. Not going to do that this episode. Um, Instead, I had a couple things. It's a bit of a hodgepodge here of uh, topics because it's been a while. That's what happens. Going to get all that out. And kind of get on track for the new season. I have had a very productive two weeks, obviously for Scott Fishbowl. A lot of fun with those live streams. But also a lot of uh, work been done on projections. Got my sheets. I'm just flying through the projections now the way I have it set up with my sheets. So I'm going to get all of those together. And I'm going to have preliminary team snapshots which is all the main players, offensive players on each team, all laid out. And it gives you not just the not just the player stats, but the team's stats. It puts it all in perspective of, of just the entire team. Because, obviously, if a quarterback has a certain number of pass attempts, well then, that number of pass attempts also equals a certain number of targets. The same number, usually. Uh, you can account for some throwaways or something, but basically targets equal pass attempts. So you have to figure all those things out, and that's the way I do it. That's my process. I work my way up from players and their own averages and their abilities. I work my way up. I add it all up. Then I look at the team level and quarterback level and say, okay, is this this normal amount of pass attempts, rush attempts, yards, touchdowns? How does it compare to last year and their last three-year average? Go through all of these things, and then I work my way back down again, kind of cleaning it up, refining it, realizing, okay, I have way too many rush attempts. Uh, one of these running backs is not getting as much as we think, or it's getting spread out more than we think, and so on. Uh, I do a lot of different things and work my way back through. So I'll have my first run through all the teams here, hopefully in a couple more weeks. And I'm looking at getting people in for podcasts. We'll go either by team or by division. I might just have some short recordings, like 10 minutes, 
interviews with somebody who's an expert on a team. Uh, maybe it's just a fan. Maybe that's it's an analyst, and this is their team, so they just know it well. And I want to get their their takes on my projections. Where do they think I went wrong? Maybe they can help me improve it. All right, and then we'll eventually get to the singularity. My like big giant, all the projections thrown in one thing. Uh, then I go league level teams. You can actually get analysis of player ranks and ADP, all kinds of fun things like that. That's what's going to be really useful to you. The projection, the sheets, those are interesting to look up. Okay, Houston, what do I think is going to happen with Houston? Who the heck knows? But it's fun to look up, right? But that doesn't really help you figure out who you're going to draft as your wide receiver three in the 12th round, you know, are you going to go with Brandon Cooks or are you, you know, don't know, right? That's what, when I pull it all together, the singularity, that's what that's going to help with. This is not an advertisement for the singularity. We're moving on. A lot of fun things. Scott Fishbowl. Scott Fishbowl just started on Monday. Um, I am recording a day late here, but that's just as well because I got to get through a little bit more Scott Fishbowl won't feel like if I talk about some of these names, I'm going to get players stolen out from under me. Already had plenty of that happen. But one thing I did want to kind of, did want to touch on is I had a disappointing start to the Scott Fishbowl. Our whole division did. I'm not trying to put any one person down. But we did have a couple guys going slow the one guy kind of he's got a lot going on right now professionally even with fantasy that's all I'll all that's all I'll say I completely understood and expected him to be busy right now and look just because in his case I know what's going on there could be something going on in each and every person's life in your leagues in this league you never know I've been there where you go on the clock and you you decide to have a little bit of a fight with your wife right then and there. Look, I've been there. I've been there. That's what happens. It's life. But I do want to say, if you're a part of something, and in this case it's Scott Fishbowl, it's a big thing, and everyone's getting excited about it. We've all known about it. We're doing work for it. We're trying to figure it out. And it's also for a good cause. So you're trying to raise awareness and exposure. It's not just about you and your team and you're trying to win $300 or something. Okay, it, that's that's not what this is about. This is, was definitely about fun and draft day. Everyone's looking forward to it. We had the potathon leading up to it. If you caught any of it, big names on there. And, you know, I have I have criticized Matthew Berry in the past on various things but one thing I will always give him respect for first of all is just putting in the work but also also more than anything is his enthusiasm for fantasy football it's infectious it's likely what has gotten him to where he was because lots of people have put in the work but he is excited he's ringed to go and he is ranting about slow people, right? Because that's that's what I wanted to get into here is because, look, 
sometimes, sometimes we need to take things seriously. And sometimes we can just chill and have fun. But I would like to point out that most of the time, things are the most fun when everyone takes it seriously. And so it really kind of left a bad taste in our mouths and other divisions, I'm sure, as well. When it seems like people aren't taking it seriously. When you can barely get out of your first round on the first day with everyone's all excited about, why is that? Emergencies happen. There's nuance. There's going to be details. But when there doesn't seem to be any fancy, complicated emergency, something that happened. Look, two years ago I was in the division with the guy who was in the hospital having surgery, and that's why he timed out. Okay, this is my lot in life, by the way, is I, I knew I was going to be in a slow division. That This just is how my life goes. If anything like that, slow draft, uh, get, get my order wrong at the restaurant, anything. That's me. That's my life. I'm used to it. But it still leaves a bad taste in my mouth when it seems like people just aren't taking it seriously when you know that they are around and they're not taking it seriously. It's disrespectful to the other people and it ruins the fun because ask any fun kid, observe any kids as they are having fun and they are having the most fun when everyone's taking it serious. Look, if you don't believe me, go go play with a kid. Go find a kid, uh, preferably one that's related to you. Don't just go grab strange kids. All right, go get your own kids. Get your niece, nephew, whatever, and go play with them. And go play like imagination stuff, right? Whatever. And if, take it seriously. Put your pride aside. The, no one thinks you look silly. You know who thinks you look silly? The kid when you're trying to not look silly. But if you actually invest and actually sell out and really take it seriously, oh my goodness, you're going to have so much fun. And the kid is going to have so much fun. Because not only are you doing it and you're doing it with them, but you're also showing them that you take this seriously because they take it seriously. They absolutely playing is serious business. And I think we forget that as adults sometimes. And I know a lot of people are going to say, oh, it's just a game. It's just fancy football. Don't take it so serious. Real life is more important. Excuse me. Excuse me. The only people who say don't take it so serious. I mean, of course, there's the situations where people are actually getting upset and angry and those people need to just calm down. I'm talking about the people who don't want to invest because either they're too full of themselves and too prideful or because maybe they're too scared because they, they think they're not going to be good at it. Let it go, man. Let it go. Invest, dive in, 
and care. Take it serious and have fun, and everyone will have fun too. We forget this as adults, I think, sometimes. And look, the, the people who are just standing to the side, I have to remind myself this all the time, guys, all the time with my own kids. But the, the people who are just kind of standing off to the side, a little bit too cool to do whatever, they aren't having fun. They are not having fun. And guess what? You get enough of those people. You're not having fun either when you're trying to play the game and they're all over there kind of not really into it. It's the most fun when everyone's into it. So whether you're in a, a Scott Fishbowl, whether you're in another tournament, whether you're in your league, whether you're playing with kids, whether you're playing board games with the family, I don't care what it is, just just invest, just do your best, just be all in and you'll have more fun. Everyone will have more fun. You will have more fun. And it will also, it's also being considerate and giving worth and importance to the others that you're doing it with. Because you're showing that that's important to you too. So there you go. That's my, I don't even know what to call it. We're going to move on to actual fantasy football. Breaking news. Uh, Raheem Mostert wants a trade. What? Okay, so Raheem Mostert, a while back, this was already in the news, that he was trying to get his contract, I don't know, upgraded, basically. Because he signed a contract going into last year, but he was pretty far down the totem pole. But throughout the season last year, because of injury uh, performance, he ended up having a very strong second half and into the playoffs, right? And even into the the Super Bowl, particularly in uh, the earlier rounds, though. And so the question is, is he actually worth it, though? Um, evidently they think it is, he is, that's his agent's job is to think that, but there's a lot going on here on the Niners. So I just wanted to point, I don't really think he's going anywhere. First of all. So if you can get Raheem Mostert, this might be a value. Actually, I was really kind of upset once I thought about it because Raheem Mostert went in my Scott Fishbowl division, literally minutes before the tweet went viral that from his agent about requesting a trade. Literally minutes before Raheem Mostert was picked. And I really would have liked to take Mostert in like the 14th round or something like that because I don't think he's going anywhere. I think he's going to do whatever he was going to do, he's going to do. Nothing's really changed. That's all. However, at the same time, I've already, I had already done a first pass projections of the Niners and... I kind of felt like Tevin Coleman was being really undervalued. So where while Mostert was going in like the seventh round or so, Tevin was often still there in the 11th, 12th round. And so to me, that just didn't seem right because we did see them give Tevin Coleman a good amount of work last year, definitely more in the passing game. That gets forgotten a bit. He wasn't that great with it, though. So, that you know, it's like, okay. Maybe they were just moving on from him in the second half, but he also was banged up. He had some injury. 
so I, I don't really know if it's clear that Moster is the guy. I really had them both at like 150 PPR kind of thing. But there's another thing to remember here, I think. No surprise. But now that Brita is out of there, and another piece of news that we'll talk about, I think McKinnon could actually be the beneficiary here. And so if you can get him cheap, look, if, if Mostert does get traded, everyone's going to rush to Tevin Coleman as the guy who is going to benefit, right? But I'm going to make the argument now for why it's actually Jarek McKinnon. And of course, Jeffrey Wilson Jr. is there, and I, he would kind of take on a little bit of Mostert's kind of kind of role, uh, but not near the the workload. Okay, but here's the here's the thing we have to touch on, which is this is old news. I haven't really talked about it, but Debo Samuel, right? He he has that Jones fracture. That's what he's got going on right now, and. The question is, is is he going to be back? Everyone's asking, is is he going to miss time? Because this injury in the past has has been worrisome because it definitely carries with it risk of re-injury. Not a lot of cases in the past have just had surgery, recovered, and gone back to playing with no trouble. I think that list is basically Julio Jones. And that's it. Everyone else has had some bumps along the way. And so, yeah, if everything goes well on track and he doesn't re-injure, Debo could be there even week one. But we kind of should expect some bumps. But what does that mean? Two, three, four weeks? Is he going to go on pop list, physically unable to perform, not come back till week nine, ten? What does that mean? I, for one... I'm willing to take him if he falls. Um, I'm not going to say a round number because so I don't know if you're super flex league and so on, but I will if he falls more than two rounds below what you think he would normally be worth. I would go ahead and take that because when he does play and when he is healthy, his per game points are going to be what you would have paid up for. They're going to be good. And so the risk of not getting some of those games earlier in the season, if you can get enough of a, a discount on him, that risk makes it worth it. And now you have the added upside that, well, what if he does is healthy and he's fine? Now you just got a really good player for really cheap and you just gain an adva- opportunity cost advantage over your entire league. So that's my take, Debo. However, if he does miss early games, coming back around, they're going to need other receivers. Are you going to trust a rookie, Brendan Ayuk? Is that where we're going? Come on. Most likely the beneficiaries of Debo missing time early in the season are going to be, first of all, of course, Kittle. Because, of course. Two, Kendrick Bourne who constantly gets forgotten. He's the Zach Pascal of the Niners. Um, Or maybe Zach Pascal is Kendrick Bourne of the Colts. I don't know. Either way, or actually they're both, you know what, they're both the Dontrell Inman of the Chargers. (laughs) Um, Either way, some of those targets can go his way. He's proven to be capable. 
he's just not a big playmaker, of course. But you got to get the ball somewhere to someone who you know is going to catch it and do something that gets you positive yards. That's Kendrick Bourne. And lastly, Jarek McKinnon. Because what he is, when when it really comes down to it, what he is is he's a receiving back. And that's what he needs to be um, basically exclusively in this offense going forward. I don't see him ever returning to any kind of major rushing volume. Maybe four or five rush attempts. But if he can get four or five targets as well, that's valuable, especially in that offense. Um, that Yeah, so especially early, he can flash. He can get himself worked in and established without Debo there. When Debo returns, it may, of course, hurt him. But my point is, at that point, if he's proven that he can play and he's healthy, he's a toy that I'm sure Shanahan will continue to use even when Debo's back. So that's why I like Jerick McKinnon. It, it's all it's all happening. I tweeted out, it's it's happening, guys, right? The the one scenario where Jerick McKinnon can actually become a thing again, right? It's happening. All right, so that's my Niners thing. Moving on. Tight ends. So I tweeted out a little while ago, I don't know, June. I, it all blends together about how tight ends are kind of the, they're a little bit of a shortcut or a hack to fantasy success right now that a lot of people I feel are um, either just in denial about or they're just, they don't want to deal with it. So they're either ignoring it or they're denying it because they don't want to mess with it. They don't want to deal with it. Oh, it's all so random. It's just whoever catches a touchdown. They're just like kickers. You've heard it before. You know what I'm talking about. And yet, and yet, every year, the teams who win in their leagues are teams that have productive tight ends, giving them points, creating an advantage at that position week in and week out. Now, you obviously need the other positions to be doing their job. There's no one winning leagues with just a good tight end and no one else. It's a complete team thing, which is why you have to be careful how you defend, how, how I define winning at tight end. Because winning at tight end can mean drafting Kittle in the late second, early third round. Absolutely. That could still be winning. However, really, winning was drafting Kittle in the 12th round a couple years ago, right? Like, that was actually winning. When I ran out of spots because I wasn't paying attention in my home league, and I meant to take Kittle with my last pick of the draft, and instead I had to pick him up off of waivers, this is winning at tight end. And this is one area that I will I refuse to be humble about because I have consistently had success, which means you should completely fade me on tight end from this point forward because I've said that. However, my track record goes back a couple 
years at minimum. We're just going to go back to where I have public proof. Okay, 2017, doing my signing the waivers. Week two, week one actually even, I'm saying pick up Evan Engram, rookie tight end. And sure enough, next week he has a big game. You could have just held on to him for that entire season. He was good. Okay, following season, I'm one of the guys saying, what is going on? Why do we care about Hayden Hurst? It's clearly Mark Andrews. And that was a legitimate, you know, debate. Because Hurst was taken earlier in the draft. They were both athletic. They were both good. That was a true 50-50 debate between people I respect, you know, being on both sides of it. And very clearly, very quickly, it was Mark Andrews. And I was Mark Andrews from, from the beginning. I was also telling you that Austin Hooper was a raging value. Um, he was good the year before that, but going into 2019, I was trying to tell you Austin Hooper. Now, he was tight end one through much of the beginning of the season, first half of the season. He, of course, got injured, dropped down, tight end. What, what did he finish at? Six. But he was fantastic for you and probably helped get you into the playoffs if you had him. Same thing with Darren Waller. Cheap. Okay? So th- th- this is what we're talking about, guys. You should have had last year, and I did. almost pretty sure I went back through. I had at least one of these guys on every single league last year. Mark Andrews, Austin Hooper, Darren Waller. So I was getting top six production at my tight end in all my leagues. That's how you get in playoffs. And then once you're in the playoffs, hey, stuff happens. In the playoffs, Tyler Higby becomes a winning tight end. That's fine. I bought some Everett going in. He got injured. It didn't work out. That's fine. You got to make those plays. You got to try. If you don't try, it's not going to happen at all. You're not going to just luck into C.J. Anderson winning your league for you. Completely, um, you know, hypothetical situation there. But moving on, uh, the tight end is just vastly undervalued by some and doesn't get enough attention by a lot of analysts. And you hear a lot of podcasts kind of, oh, okay, we have to do tight end ranks. So we have to talk about tight end. They act like they don't want to do it, and it's, again, one of the places where you can get the biggest edge. And part of that reason for getting that edge is that all of those analysts don't want to talk about it, don't want to invest the time and the thought and put the work in to get you the right picks. So, all that said, I have a whole tweet. I will retweet it. It's a whole thread about this. But some of the names that I have on there, I wanted to share for the actual listeners, the people who deserve to get this information. I wanted to share some of them, maybe update it as you're getting ready to do your leagues, trading and dynasty. You can get some of these guys fairly cheap 
Maybe not everyone's on them now. A couple of these ships have already, you know, set sail. You're going to have to pay something up to get them, but that's okay. Others are still cheap. Okay, so the ones you're going to have to pay up for are guys like TJ Hawkinson and uh, Goddard. And I think they're largely worth it. I think Hawkinson is ready for a breakout, especially if like Marvin Jones goes down. Like he, he generally only plays half a season these days. They're great per game, but in those games when he's not there, I think Hawkinson could really break out. He was getting a lot of a lot of focus from Stafford. I think Stafford wants to get him the ball. It just didn't work out last year. A lot of things between Hawkinson's health, later Stafford's health, it just didn't work out. He, he's he got a year under his belt now. Now that's what we want to see. We want to see a flash from a tight end, a rookie tight end. It's great if they just destroy like Gronk or something, obviously, or even to an extent Mark Andrews. But... You don't always get that. Sometimes it's just a little bit of a flash like we saw from George Kittle, right? That you've got to be ready to see it so you can jump on it the next season. Hawkinson, I think that's he's the guy you can jump on and get some solid value out of him, um, solid fantasy production out of him. It's just that because he's a first-rounder and everybody knows his name, he's not going to be free. That's all. I have my uh, around round 10, okay? Plus. When I say plus, I mean as in round 11 going down later, all right? So uh, th- then you got guys like Mike Gusecki. I'm a little unsure about Mike Gusecki. Sometimes his value falls enough that I'm good, I'm fine with it. Go for it. But I, it is a little concerning uh, what he did with what he got and when. And, and there's just a lot of nuance there. It wasn't actually that impressive, and I know his combine was impressive. His player profiler page looks impressive, but you know what? So did Hayden Hurst's. Um, you know these guys have player profilers that look better than than Rob Gronkowski's, and he was the best NFL tight end, at least for fantasy. I think ever. I think hopefully. People eventually come around on that. Maybe this year, this season, will help contribute to that. But I think because it was a little short as far as some, compared to like a Tony Gonzalez kind of career, that I'm afraid that people aren't going to allow themselves to call him the best. But it's pretty clear per game performance, just raw domination. You can tell me how he had Tom Brady all you like, but it's clear he elevated Tom Brady just as much as Tom Brady elevated him. But you look at his player profiler, and it's it's pretty good, but there's plenty of these guys coming out now that, that look more impressive. That doesn't mean anything, guys. Like, it means something when they're coming out as rookies, but after that, it doesn't mean much of anything, Okay. I don't care if Kasicki's all 99 percentiles across the all the columns are all the way to the top. I don't care anymore. I want to see something from him. And we saw some. So maybe that was the flash. But I also just am concerned that it was a bit forced and he didn't do a lot with it. And he why wasn't he doing more? So I'm not completely in on Gasecki 
at value, I think he's going to just get raw volume. I just don't know if his, his ceiling's going to be there. Seems if he was really that good, precocious enough, you would have taken over more, especially with the way that team was last year. Um, so we'll leave it at that. Next guy, kind of the other, kind of the opposite end is Johnny Smith because Johnny Smith, people are worried about him because they don't think he can get the volume he needs to be that good. But I think he can be a top 10 tight end. I think he can get that volume in this offense. This this offense is changing, I think. They're still going to want to run the ball and all that, obviously. But I think we saw with Tannehill, look, the, the, the strikes against Johnny Smith for years. He was the youngest tight end of his class. He came in with like O.J. Howard and, and Joku. And I remember... I remember in a rookie draft hoping to try and get one of those guys and it didn't work and I got Jonu Smith and I was like, oh, okay, well, he's younger so I might just have to hold on to him longer. And I did. I held on to him. And I was starting to get a little disappointed because at some point, just like I was talking about Mike Gusecki, well, all of this, you know, combine, all the athletic numbers start to mean nothing when you don't really show out even when Delaney Walker's hurt. But here's the thing. You also have to take other things into consideration. And I think the fact that when Mariota was benched or whatever, Tannehill took over, we saw that whole offense open up. And so I think we now know that it wasn't just Johnny Smith. Just like it wasn't just, you know, whoever else. Obviously... The quarterback was part of the problem. Mariota was part of the problem. And so I think that once he was out of the way and John who got work, 80% kind of snap share second half of the season, you can go back and look at it. He's putting up the numbers. He's getting the work. He's explosive. He's exciting. Now more and more focus is going to have to be paid attention to A.J. Brown. So it could open up for him. I really like him as an efficient guy. And look, we didn't, this offense hasn't had high volume, but we didn't have any problem talking about Delaney Walker being a top 10 tight end. Why not? Because he was getting the, he was getting focused. It wasn't huge volume, but he was getting focused on by his, uh, by his quarterback. And I think that when it's said and done that, that Johnny Smith can get just as many targets. We're looking for that like five or six per game kind of range, but good quality targets and an explosive player that's going to do something with them. And touchdowns, of course, touchdowns. We're going to keep moving here. Uh, Blake Jarwin, Cowboys. I think he's kind of an easy 40 catch, 400 yards, four touchdown kind of guy. Uh, Borderline top 12. He's right on that edge. And you don't really, I don't think you have to like him. You don't have to be high on him to to agree to that. It's just kind of that offense, how they use the tight end. He's going to get the opportunity. He's pretty good. He's done well enough. You know, I, I continue talking, but I feel like he's just, he's just okay. He's a great option to get late just to have somebody in there who can get some, some points, some points. 
Ian Thomas, the next guy, higher upside, possibly, in that offense. We don't know what it's going to look like. We we really don't in Carolina. And so you can fade that because it's a risk and it's an unknown, and he is dropping because of that compared to what he had some hype to him, you know, even last year. I would have to double-check this, but I'm pretty sure his ADP has dropped since last year, even though... Last year was terrible for them for quarterbacks, and I expect all the receiving options, values, uh, production to go up next year. Uh, you don't need a fancy, you know, offensive coordinator from college coming in, putting it in a system. You don't even need that. You just need a quarterback like Teddy Bridgewater who can just throw the ball to where it's supposed to be and let the players do it. They can with it. And they didn't necessarily have that with all the, the two guys. I can't even remember. I know one was Kyle Allen. Can't even remember the other one off the top of my head right now. Uh, Heineke. Was Heineke even there anymore? I don't remember. Anyway, moving on. I, I'd like his upside in that offense. Next guy, Irv Smith. Now, I was on Open Bar Podcast a couple weeks ago, and we were talking about this very topic, tight ends, late guys. And I kind of painted the story. What happens if Kyle Rudolph is released or traded or whatever? Cap casualty. Because he is. He is a cap liability, especially for a team that's going to need to come up with some money if they're going to sign Dalvin Cook. If they do that and Kyle Rudolph gets cut, Irv Smith's value is going to skyrocket. If you can trade for him in Dynasty now... Uh, worst case, he's just taking another year to develop and become a productive op- option. But I think he got a lot of work. It, the work between the two tight ends was pretty well split. He got something, I believe, something like 40, 47 targets last year. It was pretty much split with Kyle Rudolph. And now... Diggs is gone, and they're bringing in a rookie in Justin Jefferson. I like Justin Jefferson, but that doesn't mean as a rookie, especially everything going on, training uh, camp or preseason games, no preseason games possibly, Irv Smith could kind of come in as essentially being the second best receiving option, at least in volume, until Jefferson gets worked in. There's just a lot of potential there. So I just really like it um, as a really cheap, uh, low-risk, high-reward kind of play. Irv Smith. There's also some older guys here that I think could pay off. You've got... I'm not buying the Jack Doyle because he's just Jack Doyle. And I've I've bought Jack Doyle and he's paid off for me in past seasons like two years ago. Not anymore, guys. Not anymore. Uh, just because it's Philip Rivers now doesn't mean he's going to throw it to the tight end a lot. Okay? It still has to be a good tight end. I could almost make the argument he's going to be less likely to throw to, to a bad tight end because he's been spoiled with good tight ends. Now he's going to look at anything less than a really good tight end as being like, ew, like, oh, what? Ew, that's a tight end? That's not what I'm used to. 
But they do have some other guys there. Mo Ali Cox is a young guy. He's huge, obvious touchdown potential. Then you can also have Trey Burton, who we've seen him. Look, I know, I know Chicago was bad. He was a huge disappointment. Everyone was burned. In Dynasty, you should be able to go get Trey Burton from that team who overpaid for him for cheap. Go do it. And here's the connection. The connection is, is Reich, Frank Reich. He was the quarterback coach. He was there with the Eagles when Trey Burton was there and when Trey Burton looked good. And so I wonder if he can't become a little bit more of that higher target uh, player. Maybe he's not the big touchdown end zone guy, but maybe he can get three, four targets a game and do something with it. Okay? That's all. Cheap options. Uh, Greg Olson's going to put up some decent numbers as long as he's healthy in Seattle. Right? He just is. And if you want to actually buy into that and try to, again, this is if you've you've just went all out running backs like early and then you had to catch up with the wide receivers and you just had no time to get a good tight end in there and you just need to load up on some guys that'll just get you some points in that onesie position, tight end position, Greg Olson, you could do worse. Okay. That's it real quick for tight ends. I already mentioned some of the other guys. The, the other talk I had on that thread was some some rookies. Um, oh, you know what? I did miss. You have Chris Herndon. Okay, he's kind of a bit of a buy low, but he he's not really flying under the radar as much as I thought he could. A lot of people are actually buying Herndon for, for as just as much as Irv Smith. And I'd rather have Irv Smith at this point. So that's tight ends. I'm going to move on to a topic that's a little bit more, I guess, just fantasy football theory and league theory. And it's in the vein of Scott Fishbowl because with Scott Fishbowl X or 10, right, he's he's implemented this these scoring settings for the quarterbacks it's a little bit it's a little bit genius. Now I have actually played in a league in the past that had a plus or minus points for if the quarterback finished the game above or below a certain percentage. I think it was 65% or something like that, 66% that if you finished above that completion rate you got bonus and if you were below you got minus. And that was okay, but it was a little bit too just arbitrary line black and white, right? Well, Scott Fish came up with a genius solution to this, which was getting away from the actual percentage and making it a uh, a yes or no threshold line and instead gave us one uh, negative one for incompletions and plus 0.5 for completions, which just mathematically creates this natural tipping point, this this zero point of 66.7, because it takes two completions uh, 
to equal 1 in completion, 2 to 1, 2 out of 3, 66.7%. Simple as that. And now it allows for some variation. And it allows you to get more points if you're way up at 70%. And it also allows you to lose a whole lot more points if you're down at 55%, right? And so what it's done is it hasn't just it hasn't just elevated all quarterbacks. It's really stretched it out and it's made it so you look in most super flex leagues people don't like to talk about it. Some people poop hot, but you can still just get any old junk starting quarterback. You know, hey, grab Jacoby Brissett. Oh, and then he turns out to actually be fairly good for uh, fantasy football after all. But, right, just throw him in the super flex. He's going to get more points than any wide receiver, or running back, or tight end that you could put in there, right? That's the common wisdom is, well, you're better off with a tight end in there. I mean, with a quarterback, obviously. But in this scoring setting, I think a lot of people who are in the Scott Fishbowl are going to find this out early in the season, the first couple weeks here, that, you know what, maybe you don't always want to start that quarterback because maybe he's playing the Patriots and he could end up with negative five points. And you actually would have gotten more points starting that, I don't know, some unknown wide receiver three on some team. And that guy gets seven points. And you just... That's a differential of 12 points from negative 5 to plus 7. Yeah, you'll take that every time. It's even safer because, it, look, they might get you a 0, but they're not going to get you a negative, but the quarterback could. And so it's going to be a problem, and people are going to start having to decide whether to bench their second quarterback in lieu of uh, another position player. And so I really actually am curious about this if we can see, and I may try to make a league like this, that, um, I mean, just just get rid of flex spots. Just make them super flex. Just now we can get rid of this distinction between a super flex and a flex. It's just, it could just be a flex of any player. Simple. Just I remember back in the day we used to call them OP leagues because offensive player. And then Superflex, kind of that, that won out the battle of terminology, I guess. But I'd love to see just this, just it's an OP slot, just any offensive player. Throw them in there. Don't care what it is of the four positions, just throw them in there. And we could see quarterbacks getting drafted and valued a lot more similarly to maybe even running backs, where it's a viable strategy now to go robust quarterback and draft like nothing but quarterbacks your first three rounds and then try to scrounge up the other positions but it's that but you got to get good ones because they could backfire and get you negative points in bad performances right so there would be so much more strategy there so i'm really curious in in kind of experimenting with this and actually taking this scoring and just abandoning this mindset of it having to be different just let them be just one of the other positions. Just let them be like the others and let players have to make a decision 
of what strategy they're going to go with, what approach they're going to take, and allow that to just develop naturally. And maybe, you know, after three, four years of that, everyone figures out that, yeah, robust quarterback was the way to go. But maybe we just tweak the scoring a little bit, make it even more penalized, more variation. Now you're more hesitant. And just just the fact that there can be a little hesitation whether to start a quarterback in that, that flex spot, just that hesitation alone instead of that automatic just throw a junk quarterback in there and get some points. That, that's just like a reflex. Like, yeah, yeah, just throw a quarterback in there. Just the fact that you can have a little bit of hesitation on that is that's huge. That's all it's going to take. And I'd love to see some leagues do this. So, hey, stay tuned. If I actually ever did a listener league or whatever, maybe I'll try doing it like this. Uh, maybe a charity league. I don't know. Stay tuned. If you're interested, hit me up on Twitter, at FusionFFB, um, and let me know that that is interesting to you. I just want to see that happen. Uh, I've been in leagues where they're like nothing but super flex, and that league actually might have had that that 60-something percent like threshold plus minus. Um, but that was just too much. But what I'm talking about is like a one-quarterback Two running, basically a Scott Fish Bowl, but just make all those flex spots, just make them all super flex. Why not? Why not? The other thing, although there is, I've talked about uh, with with some of the guys and the two tight end thing. Scott Fish hates the two tight ends, right? But he bases that point on how it creates so much variation, and he finds that it's always the, the teams with good tight ends that win. And like I've talked about earlier, I think that was already kind of the case. And I've seen it I've seen it the case, and I've, I've won leagues in, with two tight end leagues that I didn't have great tight ends. I didn't have Kittle and Kelsey, right? Um, so I just wonder if maybe the problem was the two tight end with a premium because the whole point of having two tight ends, just like increasing the number of quarterbacks, it now makes more quarterbacks viable. The whole point of making it two tight end is to make more tight ends, not just viable, not just desirable, but necessary. And so once we make them necessary, artificially um, stretching out and exaggerating the point difference between the top five and the 15 to 20s. Now that's actually, I think, that's actually counterproductive. So oddly enough, and I'm in leagues that I've even made that are too tight end that have a little bit of a premium, I wonder if we should get rid of that. And I know people are not going to like that because they want to see the top tight ends up there in the first round because to them, the way they define whether a scoring is equal is if it has the top guys all up in the top, viable at the top. That that may be possible, but I'm not sure that's actually the best you know, standard or measure of if a scoring system is quote-unquote good or successful, or equal, or whatever. Maybe you just need the whole position as a whole to be valuable. 
And if it just takes a tiny premium, but past that, it's just a matter of demand in a two tight end, that's okay. But the other solution is, again, combining it with the super flex idea, is those wide receiver tight end flexes where you can't have a running back in them. I think that's that's an acceptable middle ground to me um, that you can still use tight end and so on. So I respect those ones. But uh, if you're a if you're just a one tight end spot truther, um, that's weak. You need to grow up. Actually, do some research. I'm, I'm just kidding. All right. So keep an eye out for that. We'll see if we'll see if that happens because it'd be a really interesting format that I think just increases the number of viable strategies. And to me. That's what makes a scoring system good is how many different ways can people win? And I think there's a lot of ways you could win in a league um, where the quarterbacks can be treated like the other positions. Enough on that. So we're here 50-something minutes into this podcast. It's just been me talking a lot. Um and that's all it's going to be, by the way. I'm not bringing in a guest at 50 minutes in. What I mean is I'm going to change uh, topics here and kind of I'm kind of letting you in behind the scenes a little bit. I want to kind of talk about an idea I had about maybe a segment or maybe could even devote entire short podcasts to this occasionally when it comes up. I'm not going to make it a scheduled thing. But this references something that I've been talking about I thought about months ago and then some other smart people brought something up that was very similar to it. Um, It's the idea of gaining the most um, advantage or the edge over the most other players as you can. And how are we going to do that? And, This podcast, I've said many times, I don't pretend like other podcasts don't exist on this podcast. I freely talk about and reference and endorse and suggest other sources and other podcasts freely. I I don't understand why I can't bring it like as if they're competition or something. That's really old fashioned thinking. I'm sorry. Um, So. I looked at it and I said, okay, the the fantasy footballers podcast. I listen to them. You probably listen to them. Most of us listen to them. If you listen to fantasy football podcasts, you probably listen to them. And so I thought to myself, well, if I can find occasionally when I'm listening to them one major take or projection or anything like that that I feel they're wrong on, and that there's a a counter move or an action that you can take that would really gain you an advantage over all the other people who are busy following their advice, um, that I'm going to point that out. And I don't know what to call this. Um, beating the ballers didn't really, you know, didn't really test out well in uh, the the focus groups. <laughs> Um, fade the market, mastering the market, besting the ballers. I don't want it to just be the ballers, though. Eventually, I kind of settled on it. I want it to be any 
big influencer. I want to be able to reference them. I want to be able to tell you the podcast, the minute, maybe even record a small snippet of their audio, which is completely fair use, by the way, because it's commentary. There you go. You can't sue me. So I want to be able to do this because I think it's it's a place where you can get the most edge. And that's like I was referring to something that Peter Howard I'm trying to find the tweet. I will get it in here if I can find it. But he brought it up on his podcast as well after tweeting it. Um, There was a guy who was kind of comparing fantasy football right now, the industry, the marketplace, to the stock market and how the stock market eventually got to the point where there were so many analysts and, and everyone doing all the same work that the market became efficient, meaning meaning that everyone knew roughly who was good and what was going to be good and what was working. And so it became really hard to find differentiation to be able to actually profit more than others. And that's just like now, ADP is really sharp. It's really good. Average draft position. Uh, position. I mean, I'm doing the Scott Fishbowl. And I made the sheet where I put out, you know, the average scoring for each position over the last three years. And then I even broke it out so that I could, I, I broke it down so that, you know, everyone who scored right around 150 points, I had, okay, so that would be in the tight end, you know, 10. And that would have been the wide receiver, 33. And that would have been the running back. 40 and that would have been the I'm just making up numbers now but you know what I'm saying now like I had it striated across horizontally so everyone at any given position that average whatever QB RB the nth whatever position it would show you what that was and so I was crossing it off as we went through the Scott Fishbowl draft to see, okay, are we getting out ahead of our skis, you know, on running backs? And and we, we were. You know, we were way ahead at running back like 40, um, even though the running back 40 was averaging only 100 points. Meanly, meanwhile, wide receiver 30 was still on the board who averages around 150. And there's no player names attached to these, okay? So you're always going to be able to beat ADP with a projection on a player that turns out to be correct, right? But I'm just talking about figuring out the market. And the market, even though this is a weird scoring, the ADP, all the people in the Scott Fishbowl, they're smart people. And they probably, many of them did the same thing I did. And I'm going through it, and it's sharp. I mean, as soon as we get to the point where that tight end is a value because that scoring is is increased for them with premium. When we get to the point where it's just as good as being a wide receiver, he's getting taken. People are figuring it out. And as far as the scoring average, it was very level between positions. People were figuring it out. Point is, people are smart. The market is smart. It's so hard now to come up with content and takes that actually are different that people can follow and profit from because if you try to be too different than the market you you're going you're going to be wrong more often than you're right and the market's going to beat you 
And that's this hot take, you know, disease that's going around. I'm fine with hot takes. It's just it's just a lot of it. And it's just people trying to differentiate from the market. But it the more you try to do that, if you try to do that too hard, you're going to lose because the the mass the, the yes, the consheepsis are smarter than you. Okay? So don't fade consheepsis. Rather, and this is the point that the tweet that Peter Howard put out, rather what started to become effective in the start market was figuring out where the market was consistently getting it wrong. Find that pattern and use it to predict where they're going to get it wrong next and profit there. Okay? And so you can translate that into fantasy football in many ways. So is for I would say for a long time late round quarterback was JJ Zacharyson's response to quarterbacks being overvalued. The market hadn't figured it out that you don't need to take a quarterback that early. Just wait. The market eventually figured it out. But that was one area where JJ figured out that okay, the market's consistently getting this wrong. Just wait on quarterback. In this very podcast, I'm telling you, the market is consistently not putting in the work and getting you the good takes on tight ends. This is a place where you can find that edge, okay? So that's a prime example right there. Lastly, I wanted to say that if we can find the influencers, like I said, back to the ballers, and again, this is... This is with complete respect to the ballers, um, to I'm probably going to reference Matt Kelly when it comes to like dynasty takes. These are the some of the biggest names in their realms that are influencing the most people and the people in your leagues. And if you can find and you can uh, pinpoint particular takes to do the opposite that come out on your side, you're going to be able to profit. So keep it out for that. I'm going to try and do one. I have one for you right here. It's not really new. I've talked about it before, but it's Calvin Ridley. And it's funny because it's kind of a mix of both because Matt Kelly was on recently these past weeks saying that Calvin Ridley's getting overhyped. Meanwhile, the ballers are out there a couple days ago, yesterday, talking about how they're pretty much all projecting him for around 1,100 yards. He hasn't broke 1,000 yards yet in his two seasons. He's been upper 800 and then 900s, I think. Hasn't beat it yet. I I think it's correct he's going to get more targets this year. I don't know if that means he's going to break 1,000 yards, though. And even if he does, I mean, does that mean he's getting the touchdowns too? necessary to combine with that to get up into the realm that people are valuing him at which is almost in the top 12 almost luckily that's faded a little bit lately because there's just so many other good wide receivers that people are happy to take him wide receiver 14 16 instead but the people who are doing that usually have in their mind the idea he could be uh, a top 12 it's possible. It's certainly possible. But if someone's valuing him like that, 
you, you should go and find the person in your league who's valuing him like that and trade them. Trade him. Get that value out of him. Because I am more in agreement with Matt Kelly that he's never going to be the one on that team. Um, by the time Julio Jones is ready to not be the one next year, the year after, maybe, maybe even the year after that, Julio will already just be what he is. I mean, sorry, Calvin Ridley is just going to be what he is, and the team will have already drafted the next guy, right? Like Dallas has already drafted the next guy in CeeDee Lamb. So if you were expecting Gallup to be the one when Amari Cooper was done, it's not a perfectly parallel situation at all. But you get my point. The idea is, the the future number one receiver is not currently on this team, right? And so if you can get that kind of value out of him, you should sell him. You should get that kind of value. That's all. That's all I'm going to say. That's just an example of those kind of takes that I'm going to be keeping an eye on because I really, I, I pointed this out last year and I might, I don't know, I might work it into some kind of, some kind of media. I, I dabbled with it a little bit, but my, I had a podcast last year where it was around the new year, and I think, and I basically I was a little bit mean to the listeners, kind of called you out saying that you're kind of liars, right? Because you say you want this this innovative content, you want content that is is actionable that's going to help you win. And yet at the same time, you you don't interact and you don't, you don't seem to actually want that. You want the jokes, you want the funny guys and you want the guys that don't actually give you those kind of insights. Like I was trying to give you all last year with the next week tonight episodes that turned out to be really advantageous. If you had been able to, if you followed them. So that's, again, another area where I'm trying to get an edge. Yeah, I don't know. I don't want to be mean and say you're liars and you don't want that. But look, I'm trying to give you that kind of information. If you do value that, let me know. If this is valuable to you, let me know. I am willing to do it. I am already doing it. Let me do it in a way that will really help you and that you will want to consume. And if you don't want to consume it, if you just don't like me and you don't like this podcast and you just don't care, you you don't, what are you doing? What are you doing? I'm over an hour into this podcast. Why are you still listening? You must care. So go review the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Almost at iTunes. Really appreciate it. Just give me a rating, whatever. Love to get this out. The other thing is the website, fusionffb.com. To be honest, I was debating whether it was worth keeping up. I have not really been updating it very well lately, mostly because, again, I was debating whether to continue it, whether it was worth the money and so on. Uh, And I didn't want to put work into it if I just wasn't going to renew it. I did. It's up. It's going to go for at least another year. 
So I better put some stuff on it. So look for me to update that. Um, hopefully we can get some articles. I know one guy was saying that he had a little bit of the juices going again. Had He was kind of shopping some ideas for an article. So maybe we'll get one of those as we get closer to the season. Looking forward to that. If you're out there listening and you would like to write something or maybe you want to do something in podcasting, I don't care. I will... F- I am happy to help you produce and get out any kind of content that you have. I don't have to agree with you. It needs to be um, at least like like legitimate research and information. Okay, I don't want just complete BS out there, but I don't think you're doing that if you're listening to me right now, right? So if you want to try your hand at it, I am more than happy People helped me get into this, and I love helping other people get into this too, paying it forward. So if you have any interest in that at all, let me know. I am going to put out one final call here. I debated whether to do this or not. I'm putting out one final call. Hear me. Hear me. Final call. For the exclusive card-carrying club members of the Fusion Fantasy Football Group Me Chat, all future Fusion FFB chats, communities, whatever, will be different from this one because this chat has become so amazing, so tight-knit, so informational, full, so inside joke full that it would be unfair to bring too many people in at this point going forward, except right now. If you want into the Fusion Fantasy Football chat, group me chat, you have to let me know. You have to DM me at Fusion FFB. And I want to see, here's the, here's the thing. You don't have to pay. I know some people have paid Slack channels, whatever. No, no, you don't have to pay me. No, I want to see. I want to see some kind of receipt for some kind of donation in the spirit of Scott Fishbowl. It can be anything you can be. You know, you gave to your, your local food bank two months ago. It can be fantasy cares. I don't care. It can be two dollars. It can be two hundred. I don't care. I don't even need to. You can gray out the amount because I'm big on privacy like that. Okay. I I don't need to know. You you could probably fake me with this. I mean, honestly, just download some fake receipt and mock it up and I'll buy it. Okay. Because I'm I'm trusting like that. I don't care. I just want to see something that shows you did something to charity, any charity. And you're in. And that's it. And then the doors close forever.